morning again. Today's scripture reading comes from the 14th chapter of John, the first 14 verses. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. God bless the reading of his word. Good morning. How's everybody today? Good. I brought something today that I think most of you have. Keys? Keys. Keys are important things in our lives. We use them for a lot of things. These are my school keys, and because they all look alike, I have to have them color-coded. And even color-coded, I still try to stick the wrong key in the wrong door all the time. This one opens my classroom. This one locks the inside, but it, the room from the inside, but it also opens some of the bathrooms, and this one opens the rest of the bathrooms in the teacher's lounge. Kind of crazy, so I'm sometimes trying to get out of my room quick and lock the door, and I'm sticking this key in because I'm usually in a hurry to go to the bathroom. Doesn't work too well. And then this one goes to something at school, but I can't remember what. <laughs> um, it's small, so it could be it goes to the cabinets in my room or the desk or maybe it goes to a file cabinet that isn't in my room anymore i'm not sure and then i have these these are my everyday keys sort of i have my keys to sturbridge village my keys to katie's house my keys to my house somewhere i have another one of those little keys and i think this key is the one that i tried to give pastor jen one time to open the gate it doesn't open the gate. It opens my storage unit. 
but obviously I don't use it very often, so I didn't know. Um, and of course, this one's my car. Now, if I tried to put this key into another lock, would it work? No, of course not. Any of these keys, especially my school keys, even though they look alike, you try to put the thing in, it might go in, but it doesn't turn. And that's a problem. But the other problem I have is, will any of these get me to heaven? No. Will any of them get me any closer to God? No. Well, I do have church keys on here, so they, they might get me a little closer to God if I come here. Um, but I don't think they're going to get me into heaven. I don't think they're going to get me closer to Jesus. But I do have one key here, this key. This is a special key. Can you see it? Can you tell what it says? No. How about if I do this? Can you tell now? Yeah. It's probably too far. But with the, without the line under it, it just looks like a key. When I draw a line under it, you can kind of see that this is J E. S-U-S. Jesus is the key. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He says so right in our scripture reading this morning. He is the key that's going to get us into heaven. Now, back in the Old Testament, Adam and Eve, remember them? They messed up. They sinned, and that door that was directly connecting us to God through fellowship, somehow or other, kind of got closed and maybe locked. None of our keys are going to get through there, but Jesus is going to get us through there because God's an incredible locksmith, and he had this key made at the same time the lock was made, knowing that we needed it to get to him. So Jesus is the key. We just need to use it. We need to understand that he has prepared a place for us. He is God. And he wants us to be in a relationship with him. And he has given us the key in himself so that we can be in the same place at the same time in the family of God. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for keys that get us where we need to be and into what we need to get into. We thank you for Jesus, though, the key to life, the key to you. So help us to stay focused on him and help us to trust and believe that he has come to open the, world, the door that we can go through to be in relationship with you with no doors blocking us, no locks keeping us out. We just need to trust and believe that he came to fulfill all of the prophecies so that he could open that door to fellowship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen to that. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you that your kingdom is forever through your grace, through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to get to know you better today. Lord, please open our hearts and our minds and our spirits to you. In Jesus' name.
on there. So when I was preparing this talk for today, I realized that we maybe should have called this kind of block of sermons the, the last, well, it's going to be about seven weeks, um, stuff that might sound like bad news, but it's part of the good news. Because <laughs> I feel like every, every week there's this thing that if you just put it out there, to especially to somebody that doesn't have any positive background in the church or the Christian faith, they might be like, what? This isn't, that, sound, that doesn't sound good to me. That sounds kind of horrible. And um, these days, calling God our Father is one of those things that doesn't always feel or sound like good news to people. And we need to acknowledge that. Um, we do acknowledge that here from time to time. Um, there are a lot of people in the world and even in this room who have not had the best fathers. Um, I want to put a little reminder there out there, though. There are also a number of people in this room who have done their best to be fathers and are pretty good fathers. So, it's not like father, in general, means something bad. Um, we had just become aware of many fathers. Some of them have also done their best, but their best was kind of damaging. So, we, you know, this is one of those topics that is a little tricky to talk about because you don't want to make any kind of giant generalizations that people on either side can be like, wait, what? That doesn't apply to me at all. So we're actually looking at a story in the Bible today, but we need to do a little theology first. Don't get scared. <laughs> you can do it. I taught you apophatic and cataphatic, so you got this. Um, there are a couple of points that we need to kind of maybe not wrap our heads around, but keep in mind as we look at this story, this interaction between Jesus and his disciples. Um, the first thing is, which Paul and I were chatting last night, and he reminded me that this is an important point, um, but sometimes I even forget, God is not like us. He is somebody completely different. He's not a human. So Jesus is a human, and Jesus is God. We're going to get there. But, <laughs> but God, God's self, the whole God, is not like us. We are made in God's image, so there are ways in which we can become like God as humans. That's one of the reasons Jesus became a human, to show us what that would look like. Um, but there are, so there are a lot of things that we have in our human life that we can use as analogies to help us understand things about God, but none of them are going to completely clear up the mystery that is God. God is a mystery. We're never, ever, ever going to be able to figure God out completely, and that is a good thing, because if we could, that, I mean, I don't know about you, I'm not that smart. <laughs> if I could figure out God and God was in charge, that is kind of scary, actually. 
Um, so, being made in God's image helps us to be able to be in relationship to him. Um, and he has given us some decent analogies in our humanness, but it doesn't mean we can fully understand him. And sometimes the analogies and words that we have to talk about God don't actually help. They kind of get us hung up. And so we imagine God in our image instead, and we forget that he is really still, even though we're made in his image, and we can connect to him, and he wants us to be one with him, which we're going to talk about too, we're still not God. And we can't fully figure him out. So, for example, here's one of the things that nobody is able to figure out. <laughs> the Trinity. <laughs> so, people have been talking about the Trinity for thousands of years and trying to figure it out and trying to come up with analogies to explain it, and there isn't one that works. And the Bible doesn't actually use the word Trinity, which makes it even more confusing. However, um, based on what humans from the very far past and up to now experience, who follow God and through Jesus Christ, and the way that we interpret scripture and the way that um, the early Christians interpreted scripture and their own experience of Jesus in person, it is clear that the very unclear idea of the Trinity is true. <laughs> um, we don't need to beat ourselves up if we can't figure it out, because nobody can totally figure it out. But the thing that we need to keep in mind is God is one entity who exists in three persons. So the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are not the same as each other. They're not each other. But all together they are God. And we can talk about them as one. But we, I just used them also. So <laughs> um, the Father is not Jesus. Jesus is not the Father. Jesus is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not Jesus. The Spirit and the Father are not each other. But they are all one. And they are fully united in love and will. They're equal to each other. There's, nobody's the boss. Um, some people think there's the boss. That's actually a really, really old heresy. We don't need to go there right now. But um, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all want the same thing. God is not divided within God's self. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together in different ways created creation. Love creation. Love human beings. There is something about human beings being created in the image of God that, rec that mirrors aspects of all three of them, and we have a different relationship with each person, but you can actually talk to Father, Son, or Holy Spirit directly. Um, recently, I was talking to a spiritual directee, and I came up with some prepositions. I won't define what that is, but they're a part of speech. Um, that helped me think about it. Maybe it will help you. This isn't in the Bible, though, guys. 
The Father is God for us. The Son is God with us. And the Spirit is God in us. All together united, but that's a rough sketch of how each person of the Trinity interacts with humanity. So that's a hard thing to understand. Um, God the Father is also a hard thing to understand, especially in our time. I've said this before. I'll say it again. I've never found a sermon that will enable me to fully unpack this. So if you really have concerns or you just like to talk about this kind of thing, you can talk to me about it some other time. But God does not have a gender the way human beings have genders. Um, that's another piece of we're in the image of God, but we're not God. So any of the pronouns or father or mother or parent, none of those words fully sum up God. But I believe, and not all Christians nowadays believe this, but I believe God the Father is intentional about presenting himself as Father for a number of reasons. One reason is because there are so many, because frankly, I think it must be really hard to be a father because there are a lot of ones that are very not good fathers. Um, and also, the good fathers that I know, I know it hasn't been easy for them. And so I think that there are some ways in which God presents himself as father because he wants to give some people an idea <laughs> of, of how they can be good fathers. But I also, more importantly, I also believe that although God um, has given his image to men in a certain way and then his her image to females, to women in another way, I think that creation, and especially human beings, based on the metaphors in the Bible that God uses of his relationship with people, um, we sort of, as a conglomerate, are the spouse, the female side of God. So that's really complicated, and like I said, I don't have time to unpack that, but this is why I use, typically use the terms father and he when I'm talking about God. I'm not trying to be a jerk. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to be faithful to what is in Scripture and why I believe it is in Scripture that way. Some people will say, well, it's because it was written by patriarchal dudes who didn't like women, and that may be true, but I don't think that's why um, God is referred to as a father. The other reason that I continue to refer to God the Father as father is because Jesus did. I mean... He had no problem calling God his father. So, in fact, he loved it. So let's talk about that. So we have this story. Jesus is with his disciples. They're in the upper room. This is the Last Supper. And they're celebrating Passover together like good observant Jews who have a special relationship with God. The Jewish people have a special relationship with God. God chose them so that they could reflect him to the world. But... They, even though they have a special relationship with God, up until this point, they don't 
as far as I know and as far as scripture records it, it doesn't sound like usually the Jewish people thought of God as their father. They thought of Abraham as their father. And in a lot of discussions between Jesus and the Pharisees, there's some arguments about, well, Abraham was our father. We don't know who your dad was. Um, but they wouldn't say, they wouldn't walk around saying God is our father. That's, God is, you know, God, not actually like us. He's different from us. So this is why Jesus' enemies got so ticked off every time he talked about God being his father. Because this was not a small claim. Even if it didn't mean that he was claiming equality with God, which John in his gospel tells us all over the place that that is what it meant, um, claiming God instead of Abraham as father was pretty audacious. But now the, the disciples, they've been with Jesus for three years. They have heard Jesus call God his father on multiple occasions. And they, he has even invited them to pray to God as our father. That's a big deal. And now Jesus is inviting his buddies home to meet his father, their father. And they seem a little unclear, as we might be if we were going to visit the home of royalty or if we personally attended the coronation yesterday or whatever. Um, they, they're not quite sure what good etiquette is. So because they're casual with Jesus, but they know God from the scriptures, and you don't mess with God, right? However, it does seem like their time with Jesus and his, all his talking about the Father and how he loves the Father and the Father loves him and he does the will of the Father and everything he's been doing has been great. So, so their understanding of the Father is shifting even if they're maybe not aware of it because Jesus actually comforts them with reminders of his father and an invitation to draw closer to him. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. A couple weeks ago, we were looking at 1 Peter, and I talked about that one verse where it sounds like Peter saying, because you believe in Jesus, you can believe in God. This is kind of the reverse. Both of these things are true. Jesus is saying here, don't worry, guys. You already believe in God, so you can believe in me. The full human expression of that God. I'm good for this invitation. You can believe that I'm going to prepare a place for you. You can believe there's room for you in my dad's house because you believe in God, so you can believe me. The invitation, he says he's going to get the place ready. How's he going to do that? the Last Supper. Yeah, he's going to atone for their sins, and he's right about to do that, um, and we're right about to celebrate it. <laughs> he is going to prepare a place by clearing away all the junk that's between them and God. There's room for all of them, he says. He's going to come back and get them, but you already know the way to get there. And then Thomas says, wait a second, what? We're, we don't know where you're going. How are we supposed to know how to get there? Which is a fair question, I would say. <laughs> and Jesus says, yeah, you do, because I am 
I'm it. I'm the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. This is really famous. We don't often like pick it apart and think about what it means. Karen Swallow Pryor, who's an English professor, a Christian English professor, said, the best stories aren't about the ending. The best stories are about how we get there. That's why Jesus says he is the way. Indeed, the earliest Christians were called followers of the way. This name indicates that believers in Christ are defined by a manner of ongoing Christian living as part of a restoration journey. This is the kind of thing we talk about all the time. The gospel is good for the next life, but it's good for this life too. The way is Jesus and the way that we live when we are following Jesus. A restoration, an ongoing restoration kind of life. He says, I am the way. He says, I am the truth. The underlying truth about God and creation that supports our way of life, which is Jesus' way of life. He is the underlying truth. And he is the life. Now and forever after. Remember a couple weeks ago, I talked about how God is the one who makes us eternal beings. Now and forever, we can be alive with the life of Jesus. He is the life. And so he says, no one comes to the Father but by me. But he's implying, see, you do know where I'm going, the Father, and you do know the way, me. So then Philip says, well, could we maybe meet the Father first? This sounds like a big commitment. Are we going to, like, go to some palace somewhere? Like, you got to think this is kind of strange sounding. What, what is Jesus saying here? And are there some hints about dying somehow being involved? I mean, Jesus has been saying that he's going to die, but, you know, God is his father, and how, how are we supposed to get there? <laughs> um, can we meet him first? Do we have to die to get there? Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. But Philip's like, if we can just see him, that will make it so much easier to believe in you, like you just said, and everything we've worked, so, worked for so far will be okay. So then Jesus spells it out. He says, guys, you already have. You have already seen the Father. Everything that's true about me is true about the Father. Everything you need to know and trust about God himself is what you have already seen and heard in and from me. Like I said, Jesus is God in human flesh, God the Son. He is a complete reflection of what God would look like as a human being, because he is God as a human being. He says, I haven't just been out here doing my own thing this whole time. Everything about me, my authority, my words, my actions, comes directly from the Father. So I need to give you my own tiny little Trinity analogy, even though, like all the other ones, it's not perfect. When I worked for Greendale People's Church in Worcester, they had a camp out in Athol, and they had, the camp was on a little pond, Tully Pond, 
there's Lake Tully, but this is smaller and grimier. And, the, and every year before camp season, I had to drive out to Athol and go put a little tester cup in the water and bring the, uh, the little cup to a water testing plant so they could tell what was in the water that year and if it was safe for kids to swim in. And I realized something. The Trinity is kind of like a body of water. And you can't know every little centimeter of a body of water. You can't know all the fish that are swimming in there and all the stuff. You can't know all of it. But you can know everything that you need to know about that body of water if you take a little cup of it and bring it to the water testing plant and they'll test it. And everything that they find in that little cup of water is true about the whole pond. So that doesn't take into account the Holy Spirit. But, <laughs> but at least the Father and the Son piece, that's essentially what's going on here. Jesus is like contained God. Everything that we need to know about God to be a human is in Jesus. And that is all we need to know about God as a whole, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In verse 11, Jesus says, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. If you can't wrap your brains around the kind of unity with the Father that I'm talking about, he's saying, at least contemplate the works that I've done and how they bring good to the world and glory to God and get there that way. If you can't do all the theology, you can't, it's just too much, just look at what I've been doing and see how it helps people and see how it glorifies the Father and, and get there that way. If you believe in me, if you believe that I am one with this God that you've already believed in, you will get to share in his authority, my authority, Jesus' authority, too. You'll be able to do what I've done. When he says that, there are a lot of churches out there that will say, see, we can, Jesus raised people from the dead. How can we do something greater than that? We must be able to do that too. And there are some cases where I believe that's happened. But, and physical miracles, Sure, if the disciples could do them by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can too when God wants to do that. But I think more than that, Jesus is talking about the spiritual miracles that he came to accomplish in the first place across time. Loving people across the normal barriers that we as humans can't get over. Reconciliation, healing of relationships, restoration work of the kingdom, those are miracles we can't do by ourselves. It takes the Holy Spirit to do that, and Jesus was great at that. But if his people can do it, that's greater because there's more of us. It expands, it can expand throughout the whole earth. Verses 13 and 14. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Okay, this is one more thing that is really hard to understand, and I'm just going to tell you right now, I don't totally know 
what Jesus is saying here because I guarantee everybody in this room, including myself, has prayed for stuff in Jesus' name and hasn't gotten it. Am I wrong? <laughs> okay. I just got to put that out there because it would be dishonest if I thought that I had it all figured out. Here's my best effort with prayer this week. And I think about these things from time to time, so maybe something else will come up later, but this is a tricky thing. One thing we need to keep in mind is Jesus is not a formula. Jesus' name is not a formula. Jesus' name is not a magic word. It is powerful. There is powerful in Jesus' actual name. I have experienced that power myself, but it's still not a formula. And there's something about using the name of Jesus. Jesus is very gracious, and I know of stories of people who have not known Jesus before, who have called out in his name, and they've gotten to know him real quick. Um, Jesus has come through for them. But when we call on Jesus' name, we are bearing his name. If we are saying that we're followers of Jesus, we bear his name. And, as we're discovering, bearing Jesus' name means we're bearing God's name. So, what we ask for, what we seek, what our desires are, if we're bearing his name, need to start to align with the will of God. I said at the beginning, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are com completely uni united in will. There's no shade of difference. And Jesus' intention for us, as we are reconciled to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is for us to be united to God, including in will. So, as we believe in God, we're not going to get there immediately, but as we believe in God, and believe especially in Jesus, that should start to influence what we ask for and how we pray. I don't know if you remember a couple months ago I quoted Augustine who said, love God and do as you please. If you love God, really love God, and you're uniting to God and your will, you're starting to want what God wants, then if you love God, you can do whatever you want because ideally that's going to be what God wants. This is a similar thing. When we bear Jesus' name, we will start to want what God wants. When we bear Jesus' name, we will also start to have greater faith and authority. And when we bear Jesus' name, we will also start to have greater humility and submission to God in our circumstances. We talked about submitting in our circumstances, even if they're not good, last week. Um, there is an element of humility. Even Jesus did this. He went to the garden. He knew what he had to do. He said, I don't want to do this, Dad. Can we come up with some other plan? Well, okay, I'm going to go do it. Um, that is, all of those pieces, I believe, are helpful context for this, I will do anything you ask in my name. He's talking about how, how his disciples are going to be united with him and therefore with the Father. And 
in that unity, you can ask whatever you want in my name, and I'll do it. He also says, I will do anything you ask in my name so that the Father is glorified. Sometimes I wonder if God answers our prayers and actually answers them, but we don't recognize it because the thing we were asking for, as we imagined it, was not actually going to be the most glorifying thing to God. And God answers it so that the Father is glorified. The more we become united with Jesus in his perspective, in his love, in his will, the more we will start to notice those answers to prayer. Because it's this crazy thing. Jesus wants to bring us home to his Father so that we can reflect the Father the way he did. The more we become like Jesus, the more people will see not only him, but the Father in our love and in our lives. We can trust we have a good Father who has our good at heart and is glorified as we seek the well-being of the world. And we can trust this because of Jesus, who shows us exactly what the Father is like, who went to the cross and rose from the dead to show us what the Father is like to restore our relationship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then with each other and the world. Let's sing our communion hymn together, and then we will celebrate the Lord's Supper. <laughs>